basically everyone not named Malcolm Brogdon kind of sucked against the Suns. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Middleton was obviously, I mean, what he missed his last 12 shots or something like that. I think he made his yeah. first one and then missed his last 12. Obviously that's terrible. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to peak. Don't pay Chris Middleton <laughs> in our questions tomorrow. Um, yep. there's going to be plenty uh, of those. There's going to be a lot of that. Um, a lot of spite. The Bucks could win a championship, and there will be people who will just be like so pissed off if Chris Middleton gets paid. <laughs> like people are just going to be like, "Screw him! Play Tony Snell and Sterling Brown. Don't pay Chris Middleton. Break up the championship team on general principle. He will not be the second Michael Red. You know, whatever. Anyway, four years now. Is that how long we're going on being Chris Middleton apologists, Frank? Well, it's you, be you saw. Right? Uh, at David Dunn twenty one or whatever slash uh, Elijah Price uh, in Phoenix, who's you know the the captain of the Chris Middleton is overrated club. So you you probably are especially feeling that uh, <laughs> that that effect. Did you guys talk about that at all? Was there any no? Discussion? We didn't have I mean, enough time. It was really quick. Sooner or later, it all comes crashing down. Hello friends, how's everyone feeling right about now? Um, I have to apologize for this podcast in advance, I really don't want to be insufferable about the state of the things that have taken place. It's why I really didn't want to do a right after game five instant reaction kind of podcast. No doubt a lot of people would have listened to it relative to this, but I just didn't want to say anything that I didn't mean in the face of all of the uncertainty, which continues right down to this day. It's Sunday night. Um, And this, I, I expect this to be pretty incoherent as opposed to some of the other kind of podcasts. I really still don't have my thoughts in any kind of real good place, let's say. And so whatever. Um, so what what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do with this podcast is be uh, positive and uh, and I'm going to really, really, really try not to be such a downer. I want to be positive. I like nobody wants to listen to a podcast uh, where someone just um, just rants and raves. Uh, but I, I feel like that's what I'm about to do. So this this one's going to be this one's not as structured as some of the other ones. Like, I really just don't know what I want to say. But let's start out. We do have one voicemail. So let's let's start out with that voicemail. Uh, this is from who is this? This is from Shafty Bro. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. All right. As long as you're willing to admit that now. So what I want to try to do, I thought I'd be doing this in the finals or the conference finals, but I'd like to talk about in my t- typical kind of circuitous way. I want to talk about Moneyball. Um, I'm guessing many of you are kind of familiar with Moneyball, the movie. It was a movie in 2011. It was a 2003 book. And I want to use Moneyball kind of as a framework 
for how did we get here? The question that we're all asking now is, well, how did we how did we arrive in this place where the Milwaukee Bucks are all of a sudden doomed? We had such great success and uh, became this it team and the number one team two years in a row and let it fly and all of this nonsense. How did we get laid so low so quickly to lose to the – there was all this um, – Hey, we're going to see the inverse of Bucks winning six. We finally, oh, Brandon Jennings to profit, blah, blah, blah. You know, he was talking about this series. We're going to beat the Heat in six. We're going to redeem those old garbage squads, which we loved ironically. All of this stuff, right? The number one seed Milwaukee Bucks lost to the Miami Heat in five games, and it should have been four games. It's one of the most embarrassing things I've ever witnessed in my life. Interestingly, a lot of people don't seem to be taking this as hard, but those people were just here for the memes and the jokes. And now we're moving on and we can blame Bud or we can uh, move forward into blaming Bledsoe. And this is the car crash. Don't flinch. Like, look at the car crash. Look Look at what happened. Learn from this. Learn from this. Like I don't, I don't. Some people are like, "Oh well, well that that that's terrible." All right, that that sucks. Moving on. Uh, so what? Again, I'm only speaking for myself. I'm sure most of you feel this way too. So I look. I'm gonna end up talking down to a lot of people too. I don't. I don't really want to be negative. So I apologize for that. Dog. I'm just speaking for me. I really wanted to win a championship this year, and it was weird. That we came into this season as fans, like not even not even treating 2019 as a mulligan, just saying like 2019 was just a year it didn't work out. Oh, that was weird. We lost four straight to the Raptors. Wow, that's <laughs> wow, that doesn't add up. That's weird, huh? Mm, I don't know. As opposed to viewing this, I mean, we talked about it all year. We talked about it all year. Um, that this was the year that was going to destroy. Um, decide if not whether or not Giannis stayed the the tenor as to whether this was a winning franchise and whether this is the kind of franchise whether we were the, whether whether we were the new Spurs let's say that this was going to be that year that decided that are we actually a good organization or are we just a UPS driver and a bunch of hedge fund managers came together and you know got Jason Kidd, got rid of Jason Kidd. But this would be the year that told us if we learned from any of this kind of stuff. We learned less than nothing. Less than nothing. We actively opposed insight at every turn. And it's super frustrating because it was it was it was a car crash in slow motion for an entire year. Um with a bunch of highs and a bunch of lows and a bunch of other games you just kind of looked sideways like Wow, we're losing to the Bulls? Well, that's okay. We won by 15 anyway. Or, you know, wow, we just really can't execute. Bledsoe's not on the warpath. And that's the thing, too. All year, nobody talked about the season. There weren't quotes, really. I mean, maybe there were some. But but generally speaking, if you follow the Bucks, you follow the Bucks on Behind the Book Pass and, and Brew Hoop and all these quotes and ESPN and all these other places. The tenor of the quotes that came out of the Bucks players all year was not... We blew it last year. We got to learn from that. We it wasn't. We trained all off season. We came together and we understood that there's unfinished business and yada yada yada. None of that kind of stuff, which is just kind of classic sports cliche stuff. But the thing about cliches is, if if you believe them, then they 
in, inform you the decisions you make as far as improving, right? And I hate, I didn't want to say it, but I knew, knew, knew when that Kyle Corver quote came out that we're not winning Jack. And I'm sure a lot of you felt that way too. Again, this podcast, I don't want this podcast to be, I was right. It's just like, hey, we, we were all right. And it's terrible. Like, we're not happy with it, right? Like, But I'm just speaking for me. No doubt anybody who's listened to this also felt similarly. I, as a matter of fact, so many of you are in my DMs that I know you felt similarly. Because there were things that, there were objections that people had that they knew that they could not type into Twitter. And so you people were in my DMs. Like, I know how many followers this podcast has. And I know how many people are in my DMs. And uh, dozens of you are in my DMs and we have about a hundred listeners, right? So like most of you were saying, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to type this, but isn't this concerning or, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to type this, but, but man, Brogdon, why is everybody downing Brogdon or all these kind of things are like, you know, Hey, um, Chris is just destroying the wizards right now. That'll mean something in the postseason. Like people, people spoke a lot more eloquently than me privately <laughs> privately <laughs> because the vast uh chris middleton conspiracy was such that no one could say these things publicly oh wait i buried the lead let's not talk about chris middleton yet so i want to talk about moneyball right moneyball um i guess the way any of us look at these things like it, the, the the idea of analytics or sabermetrics or any of these kind of things goes way Prior to Moneyball, the movie or Moneyball, the book, it goes back to Bill James and all these kind of baseball things. And so I understand this isn't a direct timeline. And there's a real question of whether this was um, art imitating life or life imitating art. And of course, many of us played and still play fantasy sports. And so there was the shift for a lot of reasons. We're not going to put this all on Moneyball. I just want to use Moneyball as a framework for talking about how we found ourselves in this situation with Chris Middleton as our second best player and Eric Bledsoe still making decisions in crunch time and Bootenholzer being the most inflexible coach I've ever seen in my life. How do we get here? Well, let's talk about Moneyball. It explains a little bit of it. It doesn't explain all of it. And on some level, I'll say this now because I won't be able to say it later. I mean, players have to play, right? Players got to play. If the players don't execute, like it's not Bootenholzer's fault that Giannis can't shoot free throws. Ah, maybe it is. Maybe it is too. But, but, at some level, like, the players have to execute. So let's say that now. I probably won't get back to that later. The players bear uh, quite a bit of the blame. And I also will continue not to touch on the George Hill thing, except to say it's kind of spoke to everyone's mindset. And that seems to have borne out in the outcome of the next series, that perhaps the Bucks' hearts and heads weren't totally into... Winning the bubble championship, which I guess is their prerogative, it just means that all is lost and we're doomed. So I hope it was worth it. So anyway, Moneyball, um, to summarize kind of my take on Moneyball, it was a movie that I saw at the show and then I saw again. And I said, oh, it's really, it's really kind of interesting. It's a really good movie. That was my take on it. It's really, it's kind of, it's um, kind of a quirky kind of movie. It's um, a little bit understated and I, I enjoyed it both times and um Enjoyed Philip Seymour Hoffman in it and just the whole thing. Liked liked Moneyball. And then around the same time, a little bit before the Warriors, but kind of through the... Because I, I think the first 
the first salvo fired by the quote, and again, we'll put nerds in quotes, just saying nerds. So you know what I mean when I say nerds, when I don't have to, you know, call them fine young Americans or whatever, just the nerds, the quote unquote nerds. Uh, the first salvo that the nerds fired was their kind of attacks on Kobe Bryant, which I was mostly here for. But analytics Twitter and analytics uh, articles and Henry Abbott kind of guys um, got a little toehold in basketball. They had had great success in baseball and some success in football. And they started attacking the Carmelo Anthony's and the Kobe Bryant's of the world. And, you know, that was basically fine because at that point, at a certain point, Kobe was Kobe spent most of his career being somewhat overrated. And late career Kobe was a really kind of a not a negative player, but he 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 had ne- negative leadership qualities, um, emblematic of a lot of older players or older basketball players, older quarterbacks, where they just can't do it the same way anymore, and they become uh, rigid. Right? Kobe was a great, 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 great player, and he was overrated his entire career because he's a Laker. I mean, both things are absolutely true. He doesn't compare to Magic Johnson as a Laker, but he was a great, 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 great player. He just wasn't like the fourth best player of all time. He's more like the 15th, but great player. And we don't have to lie just because he's dead. So anyway, um, at a certain point, the, the thing that I think the, the narrative of, um, of Moneyball really, it being such a well-made movie, it really created this idea of the, of jocks versus nerds, right? Cause jocks versus, jocks versus nerds is, the central conflict of Moneyball. The dumb people versus the smart people. The dumb people have done things a certain kind of way for so long. Aren't they idiots? Why didn't they see that there was a smarter way to do this? And then the nerd savior. The nerd as Sherlock Holmes. The one who can seize, the, the individual who sees the inefficiencies in the system and seeks out efficiency where stupid people uh, never would have grasped these things. And I think that's actually a pretty good summary of Moneyball for the purposes of this conversation, right? Again, I'm oversimplifying, but it led to this idea of this nerd hero, this, this uh, w- whether in financials or, or a hedge fund guy, this idea that, that there could be this, this, this genius pulling the strings um, for the benefit of an organization, fleecing other organizations through his understanding. And and interestingly enough, his understanding of one thing, right? And this led directly to, in my opinion, Sam Hinkie. Another guy who took that one thing, in Hinkie's case, was tanking. And the one thing that he thought he was like, you know, Sun Tzu, and he just, he'd mastered this, this, this art of war that we're going to lose for so long that will become great. And so these ideas start popping up, right? And all the nerds loved Hinky because it was just this idea, right? That these people who didn't play the sport um, saw no problem in losing for an extended period of time to win, right? We could relitigate Hinky. I mean, there was some certain, um, definitely there were some good things to his philosophy, but this was a dishonorable form of combat that was embraced, right? And so I only mention Hinky, or, um, you know, obviously Mori and Mori Ball is, uh, and all these kind of ideas. So again, I, I want to say right now, things have to evolve and grow and change, right? Like, we can all agree on that. Um, I'm simply, the way I see it now, we've been on just about a five-year odyssey to come right back to where we started, 
and that's why I go on all this because you're familiar with all this. You know what Daryl Morey did. You know what the seven seconds or less sons did. All these things. Of course, the other problem with Moneyball that you're probably familiar with is that Moneyball was almost entirely based on lies and exaggerations, right? And I perused the Wikipedia page just to kind of speak semi-intelligently about it. But uh, Moneyball was this great exaggeration that, you know, first of all, the Oakland A's had won many, many titles. I think they had won four titles kind of in the, in the 60s and 70s or three or four or something like that. So Oakland was actually like the biggest winner in baseball for like some 30-year period if you factored in a winning percentage or championships or something like that. And so there's all these omissions of Moneyball. Like the the premise of Moneyball, that there was an inefficiency, inefficiency to be found in base runners and all this kind of stuff, that's all, that's all true. That's all true, but... Of course, it doesn't mention Zito, Mulder, or Hudson, I think were the names, or Miguel Tejada, or Chavez, uh, guys who came through the farm system, guys who came through conventional scouting methods. Um, There's a lot that's left out. There's a lot that's left out, including the fact that Oakland kept flaming out in the playoffs. More on that later. Oakland was, we can draw a straight line from Oakland to the Bucks and the Rockets. Uh, They were losing in the first round. They had all these great records in the regular season. They couldn't take that one thing that they learned and make it work in the postseason, right? And at a certain point, they were 0-9 in clinching games. But Brad Pitt, um, America's sweetheart, is the hero of Moneyball. And there's a lot of other things that we draw if we want to look at Moneyball, the movie, with a critical eye, like Brad Pitt doesn't even watch the games. And he doesn't watch the game for plot reasons. But also because the players are like chess pieces to him. Right, And there's these cool scenes of him trading players and cutting players and getting rid of players just so the manager is forced to players that he wants to play, the ones who get on base at a higher rate. And But it's a Cinderella story. Again, I just want to... I'm not even that negative toward the movie. I told you I like that movie. But it's a Cinderella story, and it ties directly to Sam Hinkie and Daryl Morey and Bootenholzer and all of these guys. Perhaps best illustrated in the scout scene. We got 38 home runs and 120 RBIs. Guys, we're still trying to replace Giambi. I told you we can't do it. And we can't do it. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Recreate him in the aggregate. The what? Giambi's on base percentage was 477. Damon's on base, 324. And Almeida's was 291. Add that up and you get. Woman speak. When I point at you, yeah. Ten ninety-two divided by three. Three sixty-four. That's what we're looking for. Three ball players. Three ball players whose average OBP is three sixty-four. That doesn't look right. Doesn't come out right. That's right, already. Billy, yeah, you gotta carry the one. Right? Billy's got just down. Yeah. Who's that? That's Pete. Does Pete really need to be here? Yes, he does. Okay, here's who we want. Number one, Jason's little brother, Jeremy. Oh, oh. Billy, that's trouble. Uh, Billy, look, if, if I, yeah, Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field, and we know that what he can't do on the field. He's uh, getting a little thicker on the waist. Yeah. You know, and his reports about him on the weed and the strip clubs. Well, his on-base percentage is all we're looking at now. And Jeremy gets on base an awful lot for a guy who only costs 285000 
Jeez, Number two, David Justice. Oh, no. Not a good idea, Billy. Old man Justice? Why is that? Steinbrenner's so pissed at his decline that he's willing to eat a big chunk of his contract just to get rid of him. Anybody exactly. Him. Ten years ago, David Justice, big name. Been a lot of big games. He's going to really help our season tickets early in the year, but we get in the dog days in July and August. He's lucky if he's going to hit his weight. Billy, his, his legs yes. are gone. Billy. And, uh, he's a defensive liability, and I question whether the bat speed's still there. His legs are gone. Great. We'll be lucky to get 60 games out of him. Why do you like him? Because he gets on base. What, what is this? What are we doing? Okay, number three. Scott Hadberg. Who? Hatterberg. Exactly. Well, Sounds like an Oakland A already. Okay. Yes, he's had a little problem with his elbow. Oh, problem. He can't throw. He's, got he's a career 260 hitter. The best part of his career is over. I say it's just getting started. I know Boston wants to cut him, and no one wants to pick him up. That's good for us. He's cheap. Let me get this. Let me get this straight. You're going to get a guy that's been released by half the organizations in professional baseball because he's got non-repairable nerve damage in his elbow, and he can't throw. He can't throw and he can't field, but what can he do? Oh, boy. Guys, check your reports or I'm gonna point at people. He gets on he get on base. He can get on base. So he walks a lot. He gets on base a lot. Rocco, do I care if it's a walk or a hit? Pete? You do not. I do not. You're unhappy, Grady. Why? <laughs> wow. May I speak candidly? Sure, go ahead. Major League Baseball and its fans, they're going to be more than happy to throw you and Google Boy under the bus if you keep doing what you're doing here. You don't put a team together with a computer, Billy. No? No. Baseball isn't just numbers. It's not science. If it was, then anybody could do what we're doing, but they can't because they don't know what we know. They don't have our experience and they don't have our intuition. Okay. Billy, you got a kid in there that's got a degree in economics from Yale. You got a scout here with 29 years of baseball experience. You're, You're listening to the wrong one. Now, there are intangibles that only baseball people understand. You're discounting what scouts have done for 150 years, even yourself. Adapt or die. Adapt or die. I guess Bootenholzer didn't get that part of the job description. And so why am I talking about Moneyball? Well, it's an extraordinary piece of propaganda that I feel has ha, has and had long-reaching reverberations in sports. Um, the idea that there was a there's no sacred cow that needed to be left, that everything had to go, that the people who played the sport that we love in the generations and decades past were a bunch of idiots who didn't know anything. Just oh, how could they think? How could they shoot twos? How could they shoot two-pointers? A three-pointer was right there. Idiots. Duh. Idiots. Oh, gosh. And so, again, I can't stress this enough. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are the only smart people in the whole movie. They are the seers. Okay? So they've taken something that is complicated and random and requires these tough choices and guesswork, and they've reduced it all to one single thing. One single mantra. Get on base. Similar to the other one mantra kind of philosophies that we've seen in basketball. Because he gets on base, 
is because he can shoot threes. Or in the case of the Bucks, the Hammond Bucks, length, right? Everything is length. But we're going off. We're not. We're not going to um, judge every case as it goes. We're going to have a philosophy that we just want length, or we just want guys who can shoot threes, or we just want layups and threes. And or we just want to shoot the ball in seven seconds or less. I haven't mentioned Dan Tony. Certainly Dan Tony, another one of these one trick pony kind of guys. And this this was brilliant, not because it won anything for the A's because it didn't. But it was brilliant because it got Billy Bean a best selling book written about him. And he got to have Brad Pitt play him in a movie, which is cool. Right. And it was also brilliant for uh, Daryl Morey because he got to be Dork Elvis despite you know, he never even made the finals, which same for Mike D'Antoni, who's about to be hired by his sixth team, never made the finals, but it doesn't matter, right? So all these guys and, you know, many more, a million NFL guys, well, they found a way to hack their leagues. They found a way to distinguish themselves, to stand out from the crowd and to get noticed and, you know, good for them. They marketed themselves. That's what they're supposed to do. The problem for us as fans is now we have to look back at this six or seven year time period maybe a little bit more and say well this was just a weird time this was a temporary bit of madness because the golden state warriors became an all-time great team and the warriors became the poster children for this brand new form of basketball now looking back on it as it turns out really 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 the warriors just had conservatively two of the 10 greatest shooters of all time in their prime at the same time and they had all the pieces around to protect them and yes, basketball has changed. Like, like no, no one's saying basketball hasn't fundamentally changed in many ways. But if you take Steph and Clay and put them in the 80s and 90s and put them on the Pistons and you take Isaiah and Dumars off and just give them everyone else around them, give them a horn, give them Lambeer, give them Rodman, Chuck Daly, uh, Buddha Edwards, I, I think they're just as successful. Again, maybe even more successful because... Because, 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 because they are all-time great players. And really, it's the same thing with the triangle. The triangle was a great offense for great players to perform in 20 years ago. But still, the story of the triangle wasn't really the triangle. The story of the triangle was Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. You know, lesser extent, Scottie Pippen. So, we had some questions that I solicited after Game 3 when the series was over. Um, I'll read one of them now, but the, the best question that we got last week was from Blaza18. Blaza? Blaza? Blaza18 on Twitter and Real GM, who asked the million dollar question. This is a wonderful question. I am jealous of this question. Are the Bucks the Chris Middleton of NBA teams? Mic drop. Yeah, man, um... It really hurts that we're frauds. You know, what can I say? This was all an incredible waste of time. Just incredible waste of time. All of this believing. But, I mean, you know what? Some would say that the real championship was the enemies that we made along the way. So, again, one more time. Let's talk one more last. Let's talk one last time about Chris. And uh, one last time. And then. We'll teach him how to say goodbye. So to be just going to summarize some of these things. And to be fair, let's let's go ahead. We can weave Jabari Parker in here too because the two the two are linked. So we're not not to hit every moment, but let's try to remember some of the highs and lows. So Chris is a throw-in in the Jennings trade. We quickly see he can play a bit, and he's like twelve points a game guy. 
And so we observe him. He's quiet. Sometimes he's in kids' doghouse. Sometimes he's not. Um, Jabari Parker is supposed to be the savior of the franchise because he's got all these actual real basketball skills, and he's got a little bit of shake, and he can jump, and he wants to play for us because we're close to Chicago. And Jabari Parker saying all the right things. To start. To start. <laughs> Let's make that distinction. Uh, it seems really rosy at the start, but he blows out his knee. And he's already a little bit fat and... But again, at this time, nobody at all thinks Giannis is ever going to make an all-star team. And the early comps for Giannis was like Nick Batoon-type players, like jack-of-all-trades type players. And we think he's a piece, but we think he's just another piece. But we got him, and we got, you know, Jared Bayless, and we got Chris, and we got John Henson. So, like, now once Jabari comes back, now we're really cooking with gas, right? And so... This was a really exciting time, and so my thought process this entire time, and ultimately to my detriment, was the key to this thing. The key to the thing is Jabari Parker, right? That That's what I thought. And the comps for Jabari Parker were anywhere from like Paul Pierce to Glenn Robinson. That kind of guy. Not the best player in the league type guy, but a solid all-star kind of guy. And that was kind of the range people were thinking at the time. And side point, that's why I never wanted Embiid. Like, I... I I still think there's a real possibility that the Bucks would have drafted if the Bucks would have drafted Embiid and he doesn't play for two years, that we're the Seattle Bucks or Sonics like right now. So anyway, Giannis, as we remember, Giannis gets better and better, and it was cool. It's like this is great, man. If Jabari can come back this time, if Jabari can be like a borderline All Star, now we got this formula. We got two guys because everybody knows you need at least two guys, and um. So what else? So like jumping back on the timeline, the Bucks play the Bulls in the playoffs and um, they go down 0-3 in one of those games. Um, maybe game three, but one of those games, Chris, yeah, I feel like it was a Milwaukee game. One of those games, Chris has a shot to win in regulation and he misses. And as we all remember the Bucks, they win the next two before they get destroyed in the infamous Mike Dunleavy game. And Chris is just another okay player. He's just another guy in that series. You know, Butler is much better. And, you know, looking back on it, probably John Henson was maybe our best player. Um, Through the miracle of editing, let's look up Chris's numbers. 16 points, 38 from the field, 32 from three. So fine. Now that next year, that next year is the embarrassing 33 uh, win year under Kidd. We thought we had turned the corner, but the defense hit the expiration date. And really it's that was like the most disappointing year because – it was really the only real year that Jabari, Giannis, and Chris all played together. But Chris steps up to the level of those other two guys, and really at this point he's better than Jabari somewhat, and he has his career year. He's basically normalized into the player that basically I think he still is. Uh, basically I think he's always been. That that kind of 18 points, 40% from three, you know, 45% from the field kind of guy. But at that point, the thing we... Also have to remember at that point, Chris is advertised as like 3 and D. And we have to remember that at this time, 3 and D was like the hot new thing, right? And this was like the smart analytical thing to do. So like Alan Crabb got like $75 million and there was all these other dudes getting like really overpaid at the time because it was like, it was the thing. It was the thing people needed. So like Tim Hardaway Jr., Harrison Barnes, Tyler Johnson type guys, they were all getting paid to be 3 and D. And so Chris got paid. And... Again, let's be real. Let's be fair. Guys have always been overpaid or underpaid in sports. I'm just illustrating that, again, 3 and D was this new wrinkle on an old thing. So Chris is like, 
18, 4, and 4 at 44 and 40, and he's a nice little player to have. We're still losing all these close games. We're still, you know, like he's not helping to win any of these games. We're winning 33 wins. But the second half of that year, Giannis takes this crazy leap, and you remember that was the year Giannis had all those triple doubles. So Chris gets his extension. Giannis gets his extension. As we know, they don't offer him the five years. Um, I'm sure that wasn't a big deal. The next year, Chris tears his hamstring on the Cousins center floor in the preseason. And then that whole year, Kidd and Giannis and Jabari, well, they really can't get anything done. Although the Giannis ascendancy continues, and then Jabari blows out his knee again. That was the same game that Chris comes back. But this time now with Chris and without Jabari, the Bucks go on this great West Coast run, and they make the playoffs. And it's a big deal for us at the time, right? We go up 2-1 on the Raptors. Don Maker is playing out of his mind. And really perhaps the greatest Bradley Center crowd of all time in Game 3. And then the Milwaukee Bucks lose three straight games to the Raptors. And for really the first time, just again, just being honest, I start to smell loser on Chris Middleton. We get Game 4 at home. If we win, we go up 3-1. And Chris is 4 out of 13 with 4 turnovers. 10 points. Then we go to Toronto and lose. Chris has eight points. And then, as we all remember, the Bucks are down a billion points at home in the elimination game, and they have this epic comeback, and it's mostly, you know, Jet and Giannis, but Chris is in there too, and then we finally get the lead. And then the last minute, Chris throws the ball away to an official uh, looking for Terry, and then he hunts a pump fake call for a three-pointer and shoots an air ball and drills and dunks on the Bucks, and we're eliminated. And it was a pretty disappointing way to end a series. But again, a year later, though, we find out that apparently Chris was really sick. So, like, I guess we're supposed to be cool with it because he was sick. We found out later. Maybe maybe let somebody else shoot then. But this is also when everybody else should have started to wonder, uh, should have started to wonder, including me, if Giannis uh, was really a closer. because Giannis couldn't get a shot off at the end of that series either. But again, we were still young and it was still really exciting. Hey, and even at that point, we thought we were better than the Raptors. Like we just somehow are never better than the Raptors. But at this point, I'm really locked in on my opinion of Middleton. He's, he's a notch below DeRozan and that's fine. Just like he was at least a notch below Butler. And it's like, okay, I got it. I understand this locked and loaded. And, and you might say, well, that's, that's like a really basic way of looking at it. Well, what about, his hot zones and his ISO scoring and his shot charts and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, I, Hey man, I test, but again, this was 2017 or whatever year it was. So you really, 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 really didn't want to say that stuff in 2017. In fact, I think, uh, Ty, uh, guest of the pod, Ty Wendish just a couple of days ago tweeted something out about something like the eye test is still the primary thing you have to look at. Um, when you're evaluating players and you know, Ty's great. Love Ty. Uh, I don't think Ty was saying that in 2017. Cause like, I know that I was the only one just about saying that in 2017. Cause you couldn't say that in 2017. Everything had to be measurable because we were in the full nerd stage. We were in the money ball era. The genius warriors were changing the game and everybody had to, uh, genuflect to that. Now the next year is finally the team is bad enough that it gets Jason Kidd fired. We get Prunty for the rest of the year. We end up with 44 wins. 
And this is when Jabari broke my heart. Jabari comes back with like a month left and he's got a really bad attitude. He's got really bad body language. He doesn't gel with everyone else. And I remember he just, he looked like he was playing on like the balls of his feet and he was like trying to protect himself for the next contract. And just, I mean, just zero defense, just, just not even, not like he thought he wasn't supposed to be playing defense or something. And so Giannis keeps getting greater and greater, but again, the team continues to disappoint. And, um, Chris, I think this is another one of the kind of roller coaster years, like most years are, where he started out bad, then had a good two weeks, then a bad month, and then a good month, and you know, good games against bad teams, the whole roller coaster, right? And so at this point, the last year of Kid Prunty, uh, you know, just like everybody else, I'm living and dying with the team. But in my, you know, at this point, like in my head, I've got this guy Chris Middleton totally figured out. He's a little bit of good stats on bad team guy, and at this point, and of course by now I've started to notice that he tends to get his numbers against like the Hornets, the Hawks and the Hornets, and uh, whoever the bad teams were then. And it's like he's not unclutch, but he wasn't really clutch either. And this is also when I think uh, one of these years with the Clay Thompson comparison by Bucks Twitter starts, which was really dumb. Like that, like how'd that work out? So it's another frustrating year. The fans are frustrated. The, you know, the factions are forming. At this point, nobody was really, there was no uh, thought anywhere that anybody would try to steal Giannis. I mean, this is like pre-Durant, or maybe this is the year of Durant. But um, again, the point is you could very easily discuss these things freely. Like that dude Sith Lord was around back then. Like, and I mean, but all these things were like a like an open question. There were people on both sides of all these arguments. Like, because the idea was not that we were going to win a title, but it was just how do we improve? How do we make our? How do we become a player in the East? Right. So by this point, by 2017, I've got Chris already in like a thousand fake trades uh, for for every player that I perceive is at least like one notch above. Because you know the 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 idea was always well, okay, we can just sell high on this guy, right? And we're informed by all the bad Milwaukee contracts and Green Bay Packer contracts of the past, but, you know, specifically, you know, Larry Sanders and John Salmons or all these guys who, you know, had a had a really nice year and a half and then you really shouldn't have paid them. Right. So this is in my head. And um, like some of the trades wouldn't have worked out like Kyrie uh, probably would have been a disaster if we did just somehow didn't win right away, you know, probably. But, you know, if you get on the timeline, I mean, Paul George wanted out of Indiana, like, you know, but any of these ideas, Paul George wants out. Great. We got Chris. Jimmy Butler's unhappy. OK, great. We got this overvalued guy in Chris. Like, we know he's not that good. Uh, let's let's trade up. Let's upgrade. Somewhere in here, too, like somewhere like around this time, the tough shot expressed was coined as a phrase to define all the contested twos that he was taking. And I like never once criticized him for taking his long twos because like to me, those shots still had value, but this was, you know, 2017, 2018, whatever, like really, really the height, like the apex of the analytical orthodoxy. So like this was not allowed. I don't even think like at this point, Eric name was like head over heels about Chris yet. Um, and like I said, at the same time, Jabari's breaking my heart and, um, Jabari's defense journal is a thing, and I go on the Bucks leading radio podcast and say Jabari Parker will be like 
bouncy James Harden. He's going to be like James Harden who can dunk on your face, right? So I kind of regret that one. But again, like, the idea was that we needed that guy. Like, I'm only trying to be honest. Like, we needed a secondary star. And like everyone knew at the time, I think it was understood at the time. I don't know where we lost this like idea that we simply didn't have enough to compete with like true star teams. And again, this is like the Warriors era, um, three Hall of Famer kind of teams. And, you know, then the great turning point in all this dialogue and discourse was the Celtic series. The Celtic series happened and then nothing else like nothing was ever the same. The other thing looking back that. I think it's important to remember now is the reason everyone was all in on the Bledsoe trade was that the Bucks like they weren't good enough with just Giannis and Chris under Kid. Like everybody could see it, and we were still like like early in that season, we were still blowing games to bad teams, so they pulled the trigger on the Bledsoe trade. And like I thought it was a good idea. We all probably thought it was a good idea, and the team still wasn't good enough. But you know the one thing like we have to thank Chris for is like. Like, if Chris Middleton was actually, like, the player that people thought he was, like, we never would have got Jason Kidd fired. We have to thank Chris for not being consistently good enough to help us win all those close games against, like, middling teams. And eventually we got Jason Kidd out, which was, like, paramount to us, like, taking it up to the next level. So everybody remembers everybody remembers the Celtics series. Chris went red hot. Everybody lost their minds. Like, playoff Thon didn't mean anything. Playoff Henson didn't mean anything. But playoff Chris Middleton meant everything. Now, of course, we couldn't, like, we didn't win a single game in Boston Garden, including Game 7. Um, you know, even, like, Jabari was pretty good in that series, although obviously the defense wasn't. But it was a weird, there was a lot more kind of turn-based offense, like, back then, especially when we had another guy in Jabari. So it was like, okay, now it's Jabari's turn. Now it's Giannis' turn. Now it's Chris' turn to shoot. And it, a really frustrating series on some level. But the, the Boston games were all frustrating to watch. But, you know, it's interesting now we've obviously been eliminated again. If you look at the Middleton playoff stats year over year, you have to ask yourself, like, okay, so now which year is that? Which year is the outlier, really? Like, I'm going to pull this up right now. Um, So he's had five playoff runs going backwards from this year. This year, I mean, basic box score. He's 39% from the field this year. Last year, he was 42%. 2016-17, he was 40%. 2014-15, he was 38%. And 2017-18 against the Celtics, Chris Middleton shot 60% from the field and 61% from three, right? And he was 25 points a game. This was the outlier. This was absolutely the outlier. And we, I, like, there's, I don't even know what else to say about it. It was, it was a fluke. It was a fluke. And, and ultimately, it was a fluke that ultimately wasn't in the service of winning. Again, not his fault, but it it, it it smelled like a fluke at the time. But again, any any player looks great when they're making an unsustainable amount of threes. And we've seen kind of the roller coaster. And we caught the Celtics in a high roller coaster. And then we got, and then at that point, so then of course, then he just became a made guy with everyone in the media. We spent a whole off season talking about this, this jump that he had made. Also, interestingly, I mean, the, the Clay Thompson talk then came roaring back. And then also he got to be like the Celtic killer for the rest of his life. No, like, no, mat, no matter how many like bad games he has now against Boston, like it'll just it'll be a Celtic killer, right? 
So every bad game he has against Boston is somehow like the first one. Like Kane's like, oh, I'm, I'm, no, Boston couldn't believe that Chris Middleton can miss a shot against them. You know, crikey. And it's like, well, you know, like he went 6 or 20 in the bubble, whatever. But I'm like, yo, does, like nobody remembers the Mecca game? Nobody? Like nobody remembers the Celtic series last year? No? Okay. Like it's the regular season games? It's like, eh. But again, sample size, right? Yes, no. All right. But anyway, so here's where we messed up. And I talk about this just about every podcast. But Bud comes in. We're all excited. Uh, the Bootenholzer gets the job, me included. Um, and before he gets the job, he has a breakfast meeting with the two players he is hitching his wagon to. So Eric Bledsoe is not there. Malcolm Brogdon is not there. Jabari Parker is not there. Chris and Giannis are his guys. And I think there was a handshake deal at this point. But either way, this informs the rest of the season because the rest of the season is this incredible achievement for everybody but Chris. I mean, Chris was there. It was 60 wins. It was a huge deal. But we remember Chris was in a funk like a lot of the year. He doesn't look right. He's got bad body language. He misses like taking his his two-pointers and he misses dribbling and kind of moving to his fadeaway spot. And he half the time like doesn't compete for rebounds and he gets benched at some point. And like, he like way more than this year. Like he just almost didn't have a good game against a really good team, like a top five team, like the entire year. Right. Like we remember this, but again, we're winning and there's this love train and historic point differential and all that stuff. So we don't move them at the deadline. Right. And also at this point, maybe this is the year before, but I think it was this year. Also at this point we learned because again, Eric name is in love with Chris Middleton. We learned that none of this matters because the per 36 numbers are still really good. So never mind the man behind the curtain. Like Chris Middleton's awesome, right? <laughs> Even though we watch him, like, I don't know, working through some personal problems on the court. Now, somewhere around here, I kind of get fed up with all the gaslighting. I start tweeting out the Chris Middleton fourth quarter shootout, which was a poll about how many points he'd get in the fourth quarter of some of these big games. And this drove everybody nuts and made everybody mad about me. But it, like at a certain point, it was just a thing. I mean, it was a thing in the playoffs this year. It continues to be a thing. And this was like the most optimized version of like, they just told like this year after the magic debacles, they just finally just, just told him like, we're going to shock you every time you don't keep shooting. Right. But like, so like had a bunch of polls and a lot of times, like most of the votes would be like, four points or less. And a lot of times they were right. Cause Chris Middleton didn't do a lot of scoring in the fourth. Like he, a lot of times he'd have like 18 points going into the fourth and he ended up with like 21 points and we'd lose or do we win. But either way, like it was just something that drove everybody nuts. Like everybody was really mad. Like, because I guess like I shouldn't have been saying these things in our glorious championship season, like point differential, point differential. So the season wears on and then in, like at a certain point, no tech Ben and Dan Schaefer and these other dudes start like taking shots at me. And like, so there becomes kind of a multiple prong. Um, um, there starts to be comments, almost like the comments are like bots or like the comments all say the same things. And this um, is applied to me, but applies to everyone who dares to be a skeptic to the greatness of Chris Milton, the same that, Either it was said, well, I can't imagine wasting the Bucks' greatest season ever complaining about one player or like some variation of like, well, the casuals don't know how great Chris Middleton is, like only the real ones know. Or there was like Venn diagram talk, like the Venn diagram of 
Jabari Parker fans and Chris Middleton haters, or my favorite, those who hate on Chris Middleton aren't Bucks fans and are rooting against the team. If you're not with me, you're my enemy, of course. And all of a sudden, my videos aren't really getting shared the same kind of way, and a lot of people unfollow me. You know, kind of whatever. But the you know battle lines are drawn. So jump forward, the Bucks lose four straight games to the Raptors. And Chris is exposed as a fraud, except, of course, again, Eric Bledsoe is still, like, the biggest culprit. Like, it's like, and, and because the Giannis vulture talk was uh, kind of kicked into a high gear, like, Chris kind of slides by for a while. Like, uh, I was talking about it, but, like, it, it wasn't, like, the number one thing, take, number one takeaway from the Raptors series. Number one takeaway from a national perspective about the Raptors series was that Kawhi, Dom, Kawhi beat Giannis. And so nobody talks about the fact that Chris actively hid in the fourth quarter of an elimination game and shot one time and the season just died on the vine because he was a coward. And really the last two games, it was like one of the most shocking things I've ever seen. And it was like so shocking that like nobody knew what to make of it. Like even I didn't know what to make of it. I just don't know why he would have done that. Like if you ever listen, like, I think the the lockdown bucks right right after like Frank and Eric, like halfway through they get kind of snippy with each other like briefly because like I think Frank says like well Brogdon was probably second best second best player right and Eric's like no no you think more than Chris you know and it's kind of a whole thing you know like, like well of, of course he was but like whatever right Chris uh, Chris gets the near max and Brogdon gets the bounce and Miritich gets to go back home and at this point. Like, it's unfortunate. Like, the whole thing's unfortunate. And so this thing happens, right? It's unfortunate. Like, it's a little bit embarrassing. We thought it was our year, and then it really doesn't crystallize until the Raptors beat the Warriors because Durant and later Clay get hurt. And then it snaps in everyone's focus that, well, this was our year. We blew it. But the thing was, right, like, I'm sorry. I was just under the impression that we were all on the same page about this. I just thought everybody was on the same page that this was like our last, probably last shot to get this thing right. That we blew our best chance, but this would be our second best chance this year. And I thought that everybody knew, everybody was mad about all the um, like really despicable way the national media was conspiring to get Giannis out and all these kind of um, all the stories, national stories weren't fun. I thought everybody like was existing under the same weight of the season, that the season was like really, it was really whack the way the whole thing went. And and I, and I thought everybody understood this, that this was like an existential season. This is an existential crisis. And so anyway, like, so fast forward to the bubble, the team doesn't look right. And well, it's okay. They'll flip the switch when it matters, right? And then fast forward to your Lando series. Well, the team is still sleepwalking. It's okay. Well, we only lost game one, but we'll flip the switch when it matters the next series. And then fast forward to game one. Like, okay, what's Bud doing? He's like playing everybody. Still these minutes, right? What's up with Giannis? Oh my goodness, Jimmy Butler dominates. Okay, it's all right. Well, we lost game one. Now our backs are against the wall. Now we'll flip the switch, right? And then game two, the officiating is like terrible, but like keeping it real, a lot of the bad officiating kept us in the game too. We got to come back right at the end. But, you know, an unbelievable series of bad calls take place. Now we're down 0-2. Okay, so now game three is do or die. Now we'll flip the switch. Oh, no, there is no switch. Like, there is no switch, dog. There was never a switch. We're in the dark. But that's okay, guys. 
Did you know that Chris Middleton is good? I mean, like, certainly not help us get over the hump good or help us get to the finals good or maybe help us get to the conference finals again good or not match Jimmy Butler good or not ever matter in any real substantive way. But, guys, the numbers, the numbers say that he's good. And because that's what sports have become, because that's what Moneyball wrought, people, with the season over, like a bunch of people, the season's over, Giannis is now out with everything lost. Us being the laughing stock of the league and everything lost, a lot of people dared to have a game for cash money Middleton party, just whooping it up. And it's so bad. It was so embarrassing. It's so insane. Up is down. Down is up. Cats and dogs living together that Gary Wolfel somehow, someway, Gary Wolfel became the voice of reason. And where's, where's Gary's tweet? Forgive me if I missed it, but I didn't see any put respect on his name tweet from a Bucks official after last night's game when all NBA, he puts in quotes, Chris Middleton went an atrocious 8 of 25 from the field, 2 of 9 on trays in the Bucks season ending loss. And of course, that's right. But, you know, I guess, guess take your, take your enjoyment where you can get it, I guess. Like, like, I don't know what to say. So, I said this somewhere else, but like, so let's say we're just fans of another team, right? Let's say we're fans of the Nuggets. Like, we don't care about the Bucks one way or the other. We like the Bucks fine. Um, the Bucks are the number one seed, still one of the, you know, top three contenders. The Bucks go down 0-3. Well, this is like a huge story. This like makes waves throughout the entire league and there's repercussions to this. So what would we think as Nuggets fans to find that like this sizable majority of the Bucks fan base found meeting in a single win when we lost in five games to the Heat? Like how much would we laugh? At another team's fans, like I mean, this is like the um, the uh, Suns Devin Booker seventy points things time one hundred, right? Like, how much would we laugh at the fans who like swelled up with pride and like this legendary thirty six point overtime performance by Chris Middleton, right? Like, like Jamal Murray's already scored fifty points twice in like meaningful games, but like Chris Middleton going twelve for twenty eight, like in a five game gentleman sweep, is apparently like Jordan in the Boston Garden, and. You know, I hate to say it, but as long as we're talking about meaningless games, I'll just go ahead and say it. Malcolm Brogdon also had one big game and an embarrassing loss to the Heat. Malcolm Brogdon, 34-7-14, 11-17. Would anybody say that that matters? No, because it doesn't. So, you know, we had a little bit of a dust-up with Kane about this, but, like, yeah, look, I'm not backing down from this. Like, Middleton was not good in the series. You don't get to be good as a second-best player if your team goes down 0-3 and loses in 5. You don't. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Like he competed harder. Because it matters. He competed harder than we thought. He took more shots. Like he looked like he was trying to win. And like for us, I mean, it was almost shocking that he, he'd like lose the ball and then like have to give the ball up and he'd run back to the top of the circle to get the ball, right? But like. This was the extent. This was the extent without Giannis of what you got from Chris, right? And again, I'm yelling again. I'm being strident again. 
And maybe you're saying, well, I'm not talking about like the real problems with boot and holes during Bledsoe and Giannis. And, you know, if Giannis was good enough, this wouldn't have mattered, et cetera, et cetera. But this is probably my last podcast. So we're just going to empty the clip. Um, by the way, speaking of clips, uh, speaking of clips, I want you to listen to this audio clip. Now, this is uh, Bob Myers um, from the Warriors from the Sloan Conference, I think, this year. Playoffs are nothing like the regular season. They are two completely different sports. The way it's officiated, uh -huh. the, the way that he's playing 42 minutes uh, in the playoffs. I don't know what he averaged in the regular season when he was playing. So, so your bench is completely different yeah. in the regular season versus the playoffs. Uh, and you can prepare differently. Uh, you can prepare differently. Absolutely. You have more time. And you do prepare differently. <clears throat> yeah. Not only can you, you do. And you better believe Paul listening to Doc as his coach in a regular season back-to-back -back game, he's going in the locker room. He's like, all right, who am I got? You know, in the playoffs, <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing. Right. And by the way, in the playoffs, his first move is gone. It's like a baseball player that they say, well, here's our scouting report. He cannot hit a curveball away. Mm -hmm. He's getting a curveball away every single pitch. So if they say, Paul, take away his right hand, right hand drive, and the pick and roll are going to blitz, whatever they know he does well is gone. So that's where you need to check as many boxes as you can. Even shooters. We played some great shooters in the playoffs and have neutralized them. Because if that's all you can do is shoot the three, then you're not, you're not necessarily the weapon that we sometimes make you out to be in the regular season. That two, in, two feet of space you had in the regular season is two inches. And you watch how many players cannot make a shot in the playoffs and shoot 42% in the regular season. It's not the same thing. So why does that matter? The more dimensions you have to your game, the harder you are to take away. Shoot the three, get fouled, get to the free throw line, drive to the basket. Well, how am I going to go, Paul? What, what should I have done against Paul Pierce? I'll let him shoot three. No. Um, let him go to the rim. No. Foul him. No. Um, keep him off the free throw. You, there, there's too many things he does. Left, right, whatever. Oh, and by the way, let's pick on him defensively. No. That's what makes a Hall of Fame player. So you want as many of those guys as you can. So we can't get too caught up in like, Let's have four shooters. Okay, well, what if those guys can't do anything else, can't guard their right. position? So I think it's more than sometimes we make it out to be. And, and the people here, I assume, are basketball fans. You watch the playoffs, you'll know who can play basketball. That's when you evaluate players. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's, that's, that's really deep. That's really insightful. I like that. It's really insightful. As to the nature of basketball, you know, like it, that's, that's really some advanced level thinking. It's also something that the... Dumbest dude in every barbershop I've ever been in was saying, like, in the 90s. This is established basketball logic. Like, everybody knows this. Like, the dude selling bootleg DVDs knew this. Everybody knows who's played ball understands this. Like this. But, of course, like, the, so now we've come full circle, right? So, like, what Myers is saying, like, you couldn't say that in 2016 because we were in the height of, the, like, the apex of analytics. Just like Ty Windish couldn't have come out in favor of the eye test, like, two years ago. But if I, like, didn't play that quote to you, if I had just read it to you instead of playing the clip and said, who said that? Like Barkley or like a Warriors tech bro? Like what would you have said? You'd have said Barkley, right? It sounds like something Barkley would have said. By the way, remember like 2016, we were still pretending guys like Vivek and Sacramento were geniuses. Like everybody who wanted to try something new was a genius. Like it's the, the money ball effect. Everybody was a genius in the making and all the old players were idiots. But it's interesting because I, I feel, I sense that now, like, the general state 
of the discourse seems to be stabilizing. So hey, nerds, can can we have basketball back now, please? Like, pretty please, can we have basketball back? Can you stop acting like a kid with a magnifying glass and like an anthill? Like, we went on this maybe like eight-year odyssey where like all the smartest guys in the room like stole basketball and attacked the foundations of the game and got a bunch of people who looked like them hired and got a bunch of people who didn't look like them fired. And like, we went through all this, right? And guess what? Like clutch is still a thing. Like ISO ball still matters in the playoffs. Like the mid range still matters in the playoffs. The Rockets are in shambles. Like Harton's a fraud. Like the Bucks are in shambles. Like Giannis is starting to be called a fraud. And like, guess what else? Guess what else happened, right? Like the Bucks played a tougher, smarter, better coach team than them. They got up, they got out hustled, they got outworked, they got outmaneuvered and out everything else. Like, like outfought. So I guess toughness. And wanting it more still matters, at least in the Eastern Conference, too, because the Heat simply wanted it more. And so, like I'm saying, like, you, you might be Elvis, but quit telling us you invented rock and roll. Like, you didn't reinvent basketball. This basketball is always basketball. So what's next for the Bucks? Nothing. Nothing is next for the Bucks. Absolutely nothing. We've still got an inflexible coach. We've still got an incredibly overrated number two player. We've still got a dumb point guard for as long as he's here. we still got a team full of mediocre shooters, and we still got a bunch of owners who threw away their shot. But hey, we'll always, always have that magical game for But for one shining moment, Chris Middleton reminded everyone he was good. It all comes crashing down.